Welcome to Docs. In this episode, Tim and Tom revisit where it all started for the podcast, talking about all things Web3, NFT, and crypto safety. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, well, let's do it, man. Welcome to Docs, everybody. Um, glad to have you all here. This is the community-oriented uh, podcast and live recording that's based out of the Quarter Machine Discord. Um, as always, my name is Tim, uh, not legal advice in Discord. Um, as a reminder, I'm an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. Nothing in this uh, conversation or podcast should you know, be construed as advice to you specifically, legal or otherwise. And we're not forming any special bonds like uh, attorney-client relationships or anything like that here. We're just talking hypothetically. And uh, with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend. We got Tom. Tom, why don't you tell the people something about yourself? That was, that was awesome. Hi, guys. I'm Tom DeSico. I'm the Quarter Machine Community Manager here in a Discord. Um, uh, like Tim said, nothing I, uh, nothing I say should be construed as advice, uh, life or otherwise, financial, legal. Uh, I am, uh, yeah, I think that covers all the bases, just saying not life advice. So um, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited about this recording. Uh, we did revisit, or we are revisiting Web3 safety in this episode, but we really do want to push uh, that we're going to make this very open forum. So I'm going to shed some light on some experiences that I've had. Maybe, Tim, you can do yours and, and some of the people that are in our uh, our community listening live can unmute and talk about what their experiences are too in um and what they have been in web3 um the few people the handful of people that are in here um have been ogs to uh quarter machine so they've been in the space for at least well eight months now nine months so um we've all kind of stumbled upon things that are less savory within the web3 space and beyond just telling those stories and expressing ourselves with those stories we want to kind of learn something from them um so yeah, that's kind of what this episode is going to be about. So uh, let's dive right into it. I think the first thing that we're going to retouch on for this general Web3 safety forum uh, will be hardware wallets. I like to bring this up because Quarter Machine has had quite a few activations uh, within the past months. And with activations within NFT projects within Web3, you obviously have to connect your wallet. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how hardware wallets work, what hardware wallets do, uh, and how to safely use them within Web3, within activations. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the back end of exactly what a hardware wallet is, Tim. Um, misconception, number one, a hardware wallet actually holds your nft correct yeah glad you started there that is not the case um some people assume that uh you know something like a ledger or a hardware wallet you're you're actually putting your nfts or your cryptocurrency into that device that you carry around it's not really how it works um so yeah that is misconception number one the idea is that the hardware wallet contains some private keys and contains um, you know, a set of, of private information that has never been exposed to the internet, as opposed to something like uh, you know, a MetaMask where you can generate a wallet, but the very fact that you're generating that through a browser extension on a computer means that even, even them giving you a private key is happening on the internet. It's happening on a computer. It's happening somewhere where theoretically there could be some vulnerability. Somebody could see it, step it, step it, watch it. Um, if you're dealing with a, with a ledger that is coming with these kind of keys on that hardware, those have not been exposed to that sort of light of day, so to speak. And so that's really what's, what's I guess if you want to simplify it a bit, that's really what you're kind of keeping on there um, and keeping off of the, you know, the big scary, uh, big scary interwebs but the the nfts uh, your your tokens your your crypto whatever it is that you're protecting with it you're not actually loading those onto there like a usb flash drive if that makes sense yeah no most definitely I, now that that's clear i like to look at it and if i'm incorrect please stop me where i stand uh i look at ledger um, or, you know, uh, hardware wallets like that as a key to your collection. So in order to unlock a signature within the key to your collection, you need that hardware wallet 
to literally turn the key and activate whatever you are going to do and or sign within that that said wallet. Is that is that safe in saying? It's a great way to sum it up. Instead of somebody simply having to have access to your MetaMask, you know, by logging into your computer and you know, maybe having your MetaMask password or something to that effect. If you've got a ledger um, in addition to that or any other brand, right? I don't think we're getting paid for that. So let's not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Right. We'll just invoice them. Um, but the, uh, you know, the idea being that that alone wouldn't be sufficient, right? The person would also have to have that physical piece of hardware with them, connect it to that computer, you know, type in whatever the code or password is on that and then authenticate it with the hardware. And what that's going to do is ensure that that is present in the moment and is also signing off, not just um, a button. And, and a, a, you know, the, the easiest way to see this, if you're not sure what that would look like, is if you go to interact with a website, a web three page, and, you know, we've mostly all seen this before, you click a button that says Mint, and your little MetaMask pops up in the corner of your, of your Brave browser or whatever you're using, and it says, hey, this website's trying to do something, you know, click here to sign. And you click there to sign, and that's and you and you've done it right. And then you go watch the transaction, or you wait for the little wheel to spin, and then it tells you what happens. If you have a, if you have a ledger or a hardware wallet in the mix, then when you click that mint button on the website, your little MetaMask is going to pop up, and it's going to say connect your ledger. It's not going to let you click. You don't get a sign yet. You have an extra step. So you've got to connect that piece of hardware to your computer, however you do it. There's some Bluetooth models. There's some that just connect the USB-C. I use the USB-C one. Um, you're going to have to connect it. You're going to have to enter your, your little code on the hardware. You're going to have to then review the transaction there and send it through the hardware. And that's, that's that extra layer of security because if somebody had somehow the ability to touch my MetaMask, um, that they that wouldn't they, they wouldn't be able to sign as me, right? If I'm using that ledger key. Now that can be done in. Let's just let's set up some some situations. Um, now easily there can be a signature that if you do connect your wallet, and we'll we'll kind of get into this too, um, as like a safety precaution in having multiple wallets, whether they're minting or holding wallets. I think that'll that'll probably be our next transition topic. Um, but in, say, having a holding wallet and, and putting something in there or minting something from your holding wallet, um, is that signature enough for somebody to, uh, once accepted or once signed, uh, have them, say, remove uh, assets and or currency token from that wallet? Or does every transaction typically have to be approved via a hardware wallet? That's the rub. So you've asked a lot of different things in that one question. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing I want to hone in on there, and we've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating as often as we need to. Just because a button on a website says you're doing something does not mean that's actually what's going to happen. So a button that says claim my free sneakers or mint this free NFT just because that's what a button says on a website that you're connecting to does not mean that it's not malicious and there's not actually some other function being called or some other transaction being engineered behind the scenes. And so when you, uh, you know, click to mint that NFT or to engage in that transaction or claim something there, if it's not a trusted website and if somebody hasn't reviewed what's actually going on behind the scenes, you could be signing a blank check. You, in other words, you don't know what's written on that, and you're just saying it. And so, uh, you know, when you say, is that enough to, you know, signing that, is that enough for somebody to drain your, your crypto or drain your wallet? Well, it can be, because if you haven't been diligent in figuring out what it is you're authorizing, you may have authorized them to drain your account. Yeah, your so that contract that you are signing very well could be, uh, like you, I like the way you said it, like a blank check. Somebody within that, within that signature, when you authorize that, they can then take everything that you have within your wallet immediately. Um, and uh, I think that saying that is a perfect transition into uh, understanding why it's important to then have minting wallets versus long-term holding wallets. 
I'm typically having those holding wallets uh, protected by a hardware wallet. Uh, I'll share in a very, very quick story. In my first experience with having a minting wallet, um, this was a couple weeks ago. And uh, this is kind of where I wanted this to, to go and for everybody to kind of understand that uh, this happens to everybody um, that, are, that could potentially be in this space. But a couple weeks ago, I was uh, doing research on uh, some free minting projects. And I was going to mint a free project uh, and it, it turned out that there was not supposed to be a whitelist or an allow list for this said project. Uh, so I should have been able to go in there and mint immediately. So what I did in turn is within my MetaMask, created a secondary wallet and moved over about $100 worth of ETH, knowing that I was probably just going to mint as many as they allowed. <clears throat> there wasn't a minting cap. So I uh, connected my my minting wallet, my new minting wallet, to this website that I knew nothing about, nothing about the team. Also, uh, do, you, do your own research on, you know, those free mints. Uh, typically, I feel uh, maybe I'm being broad in this assumption, but those will more than likely not be the most secure or well put together free minting contracts. Uh, that's my own experience. Maybe other people have had better. I have not. Um, spoiler alert to how this story ends. So uh, connected my wallet, uh, was not able to do it. Now, here's the funny thing. Their, their contract that I signed to Mint was not actually the issue. It was in knowing that there wasn't, per their Discord, a allow list. So I went looking for another way into ultimately Mint. In doing my research, poorly, might I add, uh, I found a secondary website for that uh, for that minting project. It ended up not being the actual project and just a, uh, a clone website. So what I did in turn is I connected that minting wallet to that clone website to mint. I signed the contract um, and then immediately noticed that all of my ETH was gone. So $100 in ETH, absolutely gone. There was no mint. There was no NFT to be had. Um, I got I got scammed. I got scammed by a hundred a hundred dollars in ETH, but uh, it was a good lesson to kind of understand why it's important to have a minting wallet. Uh, because I might as well have signed a contract. Quite possibly, actually, I would love to go back in. Could I? Could I technically go back in and see that contract, Tim? Knowing that I signed it from that secondary wallet. Potentially. So if it's not been verified. You know, it can be difficult to parse through what a contract looks like on Etherscan, mm -hmm. um, but potentially um, it could be recreated and people could do some some research into it. Um, well, yeah, good question. And and you, what you said, I think, is a perfect transition. Like you said, that, that teed up nicely because it doesn't have to be the case that a project is malicious. It can be the case that you've landed on a malicious site that's exactly. imitating a project or looks like a project. And this is what we see an awful lot in Discord DMs and why you're told to turn off your DMs in Discord. And that is, oh, hey, a super secret stealth mint for Adidas, right? That's it. That's not a thing. Those are never a thing, right? But what they're doing is they're directing you to Adidas NFT dot, you know, market slash XYZ. And that's obviously not the right website, but people have FOMO and they think, oh my gosh, well, I missed it the first time. I better do it real quick. And it's a lot of the same tactics that other scammers will use. There's urgency. You know, we're only going to do 100 of these. And, you know, don't tell anyone, right? You get a lot of that because it's a stealth mint. And, you know, if you tell people, then you're going to miss out. And, and they use a lot of these same tactics. And, and I'll share an example because, again, the, this happens no matter how diligent you are. So I didn't quite... You know, I didn't fall for it, but I got to tell you how, how good some of these were. In the earlier days of OpenSea, um, they weren't quite as good, and they're still not great, but they weren't quite as good at stopping uh, predatory accounts being created during mints. So, you know, the most recent one that I saw, and actually, like, I, I got to the point where I was looking at an NFT thinking it might be legit before I figured out it wasn't was with the artifact with the clone X-Men, you know, that, that was a huge target. And, you know, people would were immediately, you know, right click, save as the JPEGs from the real collection, 
going and creating a different collection, putting the putting the JPEGs on, creating a collection that says CloneX, putting copying the banner, copying the profile picture, um, and then listing them all for about what the floor was in the real project. And again, that's not, you know, it's not quite the same where you're going to have a connection and, and uh, you know, end up authorizing something that drains your account. But it's another example of this, you know, you really have to look at what it is you're buying. What is on the other side of what you're signing? Are you buying what you think? Is somebody trying to, you know, sell you something that... <laughs> That is not what you think it is, because at the end of the day, no matter how careful you are, if you sign that blank check, if you hand someone, you know, payment for something and you take that thing back, uh, that's what happens. You can't you can't undo that. And so you just have to make sure that you you're diligent and cautious in terms of looking at the actual thing that you're doing. And if you have any doubts or questions, then maybe don't do it. <laughs> Yep, 100%. You brought up FOMO and I funny enough that was that was exactly what triggered me in in when I got when I got scammed was I was like, "Oh, there was actually a counter on that fraudulent website saying, you know, 3,000 out of 4,400 were minted and every second it kept going up and I was like, "No, like I'm going to miss this thing and like it has potential." And I just, you know, I didn't do research. And you know what's funny? After I clicked sign was the moment that I realized that the website was different. Like it was that in that second, I was like, I screwed up. And then I just had to sit back and watch. There was not enough for me to do. Uh, they left just an insulting amount, uh, just an insultingly low amount of ETH that I can't even transfer it back out, you know, anywhere. Not that I would. Uh, just it's a reminder. It sits in my MetaMask. It's called Burner Wallet. And it's just, it's a reminder, don't be stupid. Uh, but I do, for every other project that I, I and I haven't since, uh, choose to mint, will go in and just make a new minting wallet for whatever project it is. Uh, because you never know where those contracts are. If you're not going to go comb through a contract of what you are signing, even from a minting wallet, uh, I would say uh, it's safe to and free to make a new wallet in MetaMask every time that you use that. Um, also something to keep in mind, if you do choose to try to grind out, uh, Lalis spots, uh, typically projects will tie those wallets or have a, uh, like a pre-mint too. So if it's something you're going to do rather than giving them your regular holding wallet, something that may be protected, um, putting, putting in a wallet that you know, you're going to mint from and that, you know, could easily become a burner or, uh, or trash after that release, uh, just kind of a little pro tip. Yeah. That's a great tip. And, and another thing I'll mention on that note is be mindful of, you know, all these supplemental things that you're doing with your wallet. Um, I don't know if, if, you know, everybody noticed, but some weeks ago there was a vulnerability identified at, at PreMint, right? And so just because somebody's using a tool like that doesn't always mean everything's super secure. Um, something that all I've done in the past and you know, I do this if I can. It's not always practical, but if there's a project that wants you to connect a wallet to prove that you, you know, have earned some status, so maybe you have to hold a certain NFT and they want you to connect that wallet, um, they can oftentimes verify, right, without having too much authority. They can look at your wallet and see that you hold something. That's not going to necessarily give them permission to take anything unless they make you sign something. But I can look at anybody's wallet and see what they hold. That's not the problem. The problem is if you have to have, let's say you have to have, you know, a particular NFT and now you're you're on the allow list to mint this other project, they're often going to require that you mint from the wallet that holds that asset because that's how they're going to check. That's how they're going to make sure that you have that, that access. That can be risky for the same reasons we just identified. They're basically saying, if you want to mint this project, then you've got to have this particular amount of ETH or this particular NFT in it at the time that you interact with our contract. And that, that type of behavior, I think, might be able to be leveraged more and more to, if people start spinning up kind of burner mint wallets, 
you know, that that could be a way that people continue to try to push people to connect wallets that have assets in them. And so I would just say, depending on the team, depending on the project, um, you know, I've asked before, hey, here's the wallet address that holds the thing that you want me to have. I don't share any private information. I just say, look it up. Here's my OpenSea. You can see I own it. And then I've said, for the, please don't allow this that wallet. Please allow this this other wallet. You know, in other words, I'm saying, I, I'd like you to put a different wallet on your list than the one you're checking. Exactly. Not everybody will do that, but if it's a new project, it's always worth asking. And, you know, I, I've asked before and been accommodated. I've also asked before and been told no, but it's something that I do ask, especially if it's a newer project and I don't know the team. It's super smart. Um, yeah, one for me in particular is Collabland within uh, Discords. I just don't do it. I'm not interested in it. There's been vulnerabilities with Collabland in the past, and I just I refuse to do it. Whether or not I hold an NFT or, or for that particular project, it's not worth the vulnerability. Uh, that risk reward is something that we're constantly weighing within Web3 space, and uh, Collabland is not something that I choose to mess with. Um, I did want to bring up something uh, that you talked about connected sites. What's the um, what? How does safety look with connecting and disconnecting from sites? Well, is that so much as when you're disconnected from a site or signature site that uh, that will stop any vulnerabilities moving forward? Like, should we all then you know be more diligent in disconnecting from sites with our wallets? Well, speaking of disconnecting, please tell me if uh, anything becomes spotty. Just cutting out, and I'm sure it's not on my end. So it was definitely um, it definitely just happened. Did it? I thought <laughs> yeah, so. You, you got all robotic. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, funny. let me just say, um, I just didn't want that to be my answer then. So um, no, anyway, you're, you're, you're I think better. the uh, I think the important thing there is that, well, so we're talking about why it's good practice to disconnect from sites and what could potentially happen. For the most part, and this is not always the case, but for the most part, just being connected to a site, um, I would say that's a moderate risk, not like a high risk, but it is a risk, right? The thing that can happen is those connected sites can start throwing authorizations at you. So you may just be going about your business and you may see something that says, uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So I'm not going to say one, but you know, you may see something that says, you know, NFT whatever dot, you know, XYZ is asking for you to verify something. And that could just pop up out of the blue. Sometimes people just click through that stuff. Sometimes it pops up while you're doing something completely unrelated and you think maybe this has something to do with what you're doing and you just click it. Though they can just throw authorizations at you if you stay connected. And those can be malicious and can completely result in loss, total loss of your assets. Um, so you will not get those if, if something is compromised, if um, by staying connected, they can randomly throw signatures uh, or, you know, a signature-esque contract at you with yeah, being connected. You to sign something theoretically. And you, may be like, you may be like, oh, that's weird. I do use Premen. I guess I'll say, yeah, you know. I don't know why, you know, like people can just do that. And, and you, again, you don't know what you're saying. And so, and you just see it, you know, that, and that's why I mentioned Freeman is because I think that's, I think that's what happened. Don't quote me on it, but I think it was throwing some random signature requests that, that were not random. They were malicious and people would just say, oh yeah, okay, sure. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So disconnecting can help prevent that from happening. And uh, also, again, just at the very beginning of this, we talked about it, and I'll repeat it. Don't sign something if you don't know what you're signing, no matter what it is, <laughs> blockchain or otherwise, right? Like, it's <laughs> the same, same basic rule, right? If, if you really don't know what it is, you either have to know the risk you're taking when you do that, or you should just not do it. Um, or you should do enough diligence that you're comfortable with it. You know the team, you know the project, you know other people have done it. You, you do those basic steps to bet and validate it. We were just joking about this this past weekend. A couple of people, we were talking about uh, TNCs uh, at the QM meetup this past weekend. And we were talking about who actually reads 
terms and conditions. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, I mean, I haven't ever, I don't think, read a terms and condition. Uh, and it's something that we should all probably be better in and practice more because it is super important. You don't know what you are signing, whether it's MetaMask or, or you know, your Coinbase wallet, whatever you choose to use, or your own signature in, in what you're choosing to give away or allow a company to collect on you. Super important. Right. Well, and a lot of people think, well, I mean, come on, it's so long, like surely it's not even really that enforceable against me. And I mean, generally speaking, you're wrong. It is. <laughs> you know, again, generally speaking, there, there are doctrines of the law called click wrap. There are things like that that basically talk about agreements where you're clicking to adopt them and accept them. And, and they still say incredibly binding whether or not you've, you've even read them or understood them. And so um, it, I, I am that person. And, it, and, you know, it's like, well, of course you'd say that, right? But like, no, I, I really do. I, I, I have had website signups for all sorts of things time out and I have to fill out forms multiple times because I will open, I will click on the terms and conditions and I will read them. And I'm not, you know, I'm not reading them and taking notes and preparing like for a AP exam on it. But I'm telling you, I, I look at the headings, I kind of skim the sections. I look for anything that stands out and looks strange to me. I look for things that have titles like data usage or license or, you know, I, I do. And I don't expect everyone to, and I'm not going to say you should always do that because I don't know is that's practical and I don't know if that's the answer. But what I'll say is this is a balancing act that you're doing every time you interact with any company or any website, blockchain, Web3 or otherwise. Um, and at the very least, you should know that you are agreeing to those things. And whatever they are. And if you go, yeah, but look, billions of people do and everybody's fine. And so I don't need to read it. I don't really care that much. Cool. That's a personal decision. But at a bare minimum, I think that people should at least know that those interactions are, are you know, potentially binding. And I think Web3 brings that to a head, which is why I like to point to it, is you're, you're agreeing to a smart contract, a, a, an immutable, non-breachable you know, you're agreeing to it in real time and and it's irrevocable and, and what you clicked happens. So just a little yeah. more teeth, right? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I want to talk about one more scam that I've seen. And I call it a scam because I, I haven't had any clarification on it not being beyond that it's just insanely sus. And uh, you for one, have been pinged on it, I believe, multiple times within our own Discord. And um, this is uh, people sending airdropped NFTs that already have a tied-in offer, typically high, um, uh, you know, uh, just under one ETH offers. And it's something that as an airdropped NFT, you're like, wow, like I've never seen that before. This is essentially free money. You accept it. Uh, and we, we've talked about this. Have you have you been able to do any research on that particular scam? Um, what were what I just mentioned? Yeah. So the the most that I know about it is that they tend to um, they can tend to exploit some of the mechanics of the marketplaces and how those marketplaces authorize and, and work. Um, I also know that I mean effectively. Whether I can explain it at any level, that, that I'd like to say that it's not one type of thing, right, that people are doing. People are trying all sorts of creative ways to find exploits and to, to leverage um, basically whatever action they can make you take as, the, as a potential fraud victim or a scam victim. Um, so without like pointing to a specific one and saying, here's what happens, I would just say that if, if you, again, a lot of these are just basic tenets that I would, I would stand there and, and shout out no matter the context. But if somebody gives you something that appears to be worth a lot of money and they give it to you for free, probably not legit, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and that's, that's true of, you know, baked in offers. That's true of a, of a you know, airdropped NFT that all of a sudden seems to be worth thousands of dollars. Um, 
but it's also true of of quote unquote alpha groups, telegram chats where they go, oh, we're adding you to this chat. You never heard of this person, but oh my gosh, they're they work at Goldman Sachs and they're going to share all the alpha and they're trying to do this and do that. And it's like, you got to stop and say, why? why, why would you include me in this? If you've got information that theoretically would result in an easy thousands of dollars to the holder of that information, why are you just disseminating it wildly to hundreds of strangers? Yep. I remember doing my research on that first airdrop that I had, and I was so excited about it. I was like, oh, I'm selling this immediately. Uh, and then looking at the whatever the project was that it was, there was zero floor. Like There were no offers. There has never been any transactions. So then I started looking at the asset itself. And while there were you know 10,000 of that particular asset, that means that 10,000 people, they were fishing with an offer to those people. And I think the way that we explained it or, or looked at explaining it before is you're essentially authorizing a connection from whoever they are to whoever you are. And there is, there is no offer. There is no ETH, but you just, you just accepted and essentially opened the upside down to whatever could be from their side and in, in what they're trying to do. So, um, right. like you said, if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So well, nobody's right. ever going to give you something for free. Right, right. And so just have that, that worry sense. And, and again, you know, I'd like to say, you know, it, it basically by interacting with it, you're actually also agreeing to make some other trade or some other whatever. Um, it, it doesn't. To me, it, the mechanics are less important. What matters are the behavioral aspects, recognizing that somebody's trying to make you feel pressure to do something. Somebody's trying to make you feel like you have this opportunity right now. And if you don't sell it right now, I mean, how many actual blue chips, if you didn't sell the second you got it, would they be now at zero, right? If you, if somebody airdropped you a, a board ape and said, oh my gosh, you better do this right now or you, or it's going to be, you know, you have to do it the second. Well, no, you don't. If it has value, it has value. And there are some exceptions. And for the spec traders out there who, live you know live their life and make their money by making those trades in those moments before the value falls out i'd say that's that's a gamble and it's not super sustainable but for the everyday person anytime you feel like if you don't do something right now you're going to miss out on this opportunity you probably want to slow yourself and even looking at general general things like investing in you know people use bitcoin as an example right oh he bought it at 100 bucks and i didn't and it's like, well, yeah, but for every person who did that, then somebody bought it at 200 and they're still happy. And somebody bought it at 1,000 and they're still happy. And that goes for a while. I'm not saying that no matter when you buy into something, you'll make money. I'm definitely not saying that. In fact, that's not likely. But what I am saying is that waiting a day or waiting an hour or waiting a minute in the grand scheme of things is usually not going to be the factor. I have a I have a question, and then I then I want to open it up to the floor, um, people to kind of share in their experiences. But um, is there is there safety in buying on secondary versus interacting with mint? So, per, as an example, um, a free mint. Uh, if there is something to buy on secondary versus uh, like a secondary trading, like an open C. Uh, and owning, physically owning that asset, is, is there vulnerability in the hold or only typically in the interaction of the signed contract? So there can be vulnerabilities in both aspects, but I think the larger risk is interacting through a website with a contract for a few reasons. One, the risk of being at the wrong place, right? Like being at the wrong site. If you're going through a mint, you could be redirected, you could be intercepted, you could land on a predatory site to begin with. Um, then there's the fact that, the, you know, even if you got into the right place, maybe if the project's not reputable or you haven't done diligence there and you're FOMOing in and there could be something malicious or, or there, there could be a vulnerability on the contract. Um, I think once something is on OpenSea, there's a little bit more data. You can see somebody else has minted it. Right. They, there mm -hmm. are now potentially hundreds or thousands of people who have interacted with the website and the contract. And while it's not a guaranteed vulnerability free situation, 
you're skipping the potential vulnerabilities of being directed to a URL or being intercepted or redirected. You're skipping the vulnerability of interacting with that contract in the moment to call that function um, and authorize that direct interaction. Instead, you're interacting with OpenSea or looks rare, right? Um, and so it can be safer, but I don't want anyone to feel like that's like the, you know, guaranteed risk-free way to buy anything. Um, but yeah, I think for those reasons, it could be a little. Yeah, safer. no, that's that's good coverage. So essentially, I got to cue that music of that, like you're never safe. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter, guys. No matter what you do, you're never going to be safe. Not trying to scare you. Uh, perfect. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll open up floor. So like I mentioned in the beginning of the recording, um, we want this to be an open forum. Uh, I do love to talk and I like to ask him questions, but I also want to give you guys the opportunity to kind of express, um, when, you know, whatever you've experienced in NFT, uh, NFT web three culture. So, uh, we'll take a minute and, uh, feel free. Unmute yourself. If you have a story about being scammed, this is like scammed AA. So, um, we're all here to support each other and cry on each other's shoulders um yeah i think uh, i'm the i'm the most open with knowing that uh, i've only had a a hundred ETH stolen but i don't know yeah, tim have, no, you, have you had more than that taken no no i haven't yet thankfully and it's not because i think i'm you know smarter or better i've been lucky a lot of the time no <laughs> i'm sure. serious because it happens to everybody i can tell you like in two different examples one i already mentioned earlier but i came very close very very close to buying a not artifact not clonex on OpenSea for a lot of money no because it was right during mint and you know i mean they were still they were i think they were literally think they were still in the twos right like Mm. two e 2.2 but the point is they weren't legit right it just it had the same images it had this the artifact banner the the profile name was still new, right? Because the project was new, so nobody quite knew how to search it up on OpenSea, and there were predatory links to OpenSea pages flying around Discord and flying around websites, and um, tons of FOMO. And you know, I, I didn't buy it, thankfully, but I mean, I was looking at it, and That's I was like, so funny. And then just small things, little things, like you said, you know, Tom, just taking a second and noticing, hey, when I expand the picture. The resolution's not great. Mm-hmm. That's odd, right? Because artifact impeccable artwork. Why would it be, you know, the resolution just looks a little crummy. Like little teeny details that most people in the heat of the moment tend to notice after they've taken that step and then they go, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. That URL looks funny. <laughs> it's know? a punch in the gut, man. I'm telling you. It's the absolute worst. And then you just then, know. You just know. I was, I mean, I was right there. I was, I literally could have clicked by and I just said, I don't know. I just, I was like, well, you know. Did you end up getting one? Did you end up finding the real one? And you're like, oh. No, no, I didn't. (laughs) So you screwed up on two fronts is what we're saying. I screwed up on two fronts, 100%. Yeah, no, I I talked to a couple of people. um, I've talked to Slar and I've talked to some other people about how like I was really wanted to get one too. I just, it's that thing, man, that the train goes and you never, you can't catch it. You keep going, well, you know, it's really hype now. I'll wait a little bit. And then it doubles and you're like, well, now it's really hype. So I'll wait a little exactly. bit. And then it doubles. Well, dude, I mean, if you ever want, I got three Ooga Boogas. I'd be happy to sell you one. <laughs> That's, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna bring up Ooga Booga in every recording of my of me. If it's in town hall, if it's in docs, I'm gonna people are gonna start thinking that I'm the brains behind Ooga Booga. I'm gonna mention it so much. Well, we all know you're not, right? We're no, yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent not. They can see me winking though through Discord, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so open floor. Oh, I saw you unmuted. You want to share something? Yeah. Hey. No, I was just gonna say a couple months in. Um, into the space i definitely uh minted it um there was a project i was following i can't remember exactly what it was that was like six months ago but um i was really into some sort of project and i was watching it pretty closely and then i got one of those dms and it was like mints live mints live um and you know the url looked close enough i clicked it 
And same thing as you said, um, counter was kind of going up. Uh, again, it was only 0 0.07 ETH, which was weird because it was like lower than it was supposed to be. And then even when I went to go sign and accept, I noticed that gas was also really low because we know that at that point, you know, when you're minting things, it was almost like $150, $300, depending on what gas was. And yeah. uh, I think the transaction cost was only like 20 or $30, maybe less than that. So I should have, that should have been a red flag because um, when I did it, luckily my wallet didn't get compromised, but it just sent the ETH to that contract. So it was kind of like a transaction fee. That's why yeah. the gas was so low. So I lost, I think I lost 0 0.07, but times two. So I think I lost 0.15 because I tried to mint two. Yeah, that'll burn you. But I mean, here's the thing. You got an early entry into protecting yourself. And, you know, you probably made a brand new wallet, moved all your assets over, and it's a lesson. And that's that's the cost of the lesson, man, right? Oh, yeah. I have never done that again. Exactly. I, oh, well, okay. I was still victim to FOMO though. Like that was big FOMO. And then another time um, was when Pack had a new mint for Ash. It was like this burn project where you mint something, and you would if you if you get like either two or three of the same one, you could burn them to make a, a new like even more rare NFT and. You know, I kind of fell for it because they were minting out quick and pe people were paying two to three ETH just to mint this thing, like in gas, because that's how high gas was. Um, so, it, I mean, it's a, it was a legit project, but what you had to do was you had to buy ash. You couldn't use ETH. So you had to convert your ETH to ash. That alone, so at the point of the mint, uh, ash as a token was pretty much at an all-time high. It was like maybe $15 uh, per token. And then, so you have to buy that, you get the ash, and then you have to mint. So now I have like 900 ash or ever, however much it cost. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't $15 each, but anyways, I had 900 ash and then I have to mint, but people are paying like two to three ETH to, just to mint. Oh, well, I waited and I managed to get it for, I think like 0.45 ETH in gas, which still kind of hurt. Um, <laughs> and then I had this NFT, uh, and then everyone dumped it. And the thing is, you can only really s sell it for Ash or ETH. I had some leftover Ash, probably like half of my Ash was left over. And uh, by the time I could sell it, I think it was like 25% of what it was when I bought it. So, I mean, yeah, that's pain, dude. That, that I mean, that's pain. not, I guess it's not really safety, but it's, it's still goes in with FOMO. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's a good point, right? And and that just brings up yet another thing to watch out for, which is it, in that situation, right? Nobody, you, you didn't, it wasn't like a scam, right? You didn't, nobody pretended to, you know, it was just the project maybe had more hype than it should have. And that FOMO factor, I think, again, you really hit it on the head of like, FOMO can make you do do things, and sometimes you end up with a, you know, Clonex or something that takes off. But if you look at the numbers and the vast majority of projects out there, that's just not the case. And so, you know, buy things that you like, buy things you believe in, buy things you want to be a part of, whether or not you think you'll ever be able to sell it. And that kind of can kind of keep you on a safer path generally than than you know saying hey you should buy this because you know it's going to pump well eventually anytime that's the value proposition eventually somebody's stuck holding that bag and so you have to realize that either it'll be somebody who buys it from you or it'll be you and either way for me personally i don't like that right but again I'm not judging anybody who you know, I mean, even day traders and option traders and derivative traders on traditional markets, right? A lot of them make a good living that way. So I'm not meaning to disparage it. I'm just saying that make sure you know what you're getting into and make sure you know what type of transaction you're, you're really getting into, right? Whether it's community and utility or whether it's speculation and kind of get in, get out while you can, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, I'll, as we kind of uh, close in on, on the last few minutes of, of this recording, uh, you mentioned it earlier, but I think the simplicity and kind of uh, knowing that most most of our Web3 NFT projects are going to have community-based places in Discord and the safety protocol and, and stuff you guys should all know and, and actively do in, in Discords. The first being, you know, turn off your your DMs. Um, it's easy to fall victim to. Um, there are convincing people out there. There are, you know, I. it's funny. I've gotten so many DMs from Gary Vaynerchuk from being inside <laughs> VFriends that uh, it's almost humorous at this point to to kind of collect them all and see what they're trying to show me. Uh, obviously not. They're not. They're not Gary. Uh, but there are bad actors all over the place. And just by taking this step and turning off a DM uh, can sometimes be enough to to stay away from from those bad actors. Um, yeah, 100 percent. And it's really weird that Gary couldn't get his own name as his username. Right. No weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I tell you, it's funny. Uh, I kind of fear that in myself and in helping other projects set up um, their own discords. I've been I've been doing that on and off. Um, we talk about the importance of just staying above the rest of the crowd and understanding. So, for instance, like if somebody was to in quarter machine, change their profile picture to me or change their name to my name and start talking in the discord chat, they would not be. Well, I should probably change it to yellow to be a quartermaster, to be honest with you. It would be pink. Do you know what I mean? And they most definitely would not own that color. And I think it's important to know and, and see the little small nuances, kind of like what Oberon was saying, like, oh, the gas is low. That's a little weird. Or, hey, like Tom's talking, but he's not, you know, his name tag isn't pink or yellow or, you know, he doesn't have all of the, uh, uh, you know, the roles that he would normally have. And then instantly knowing that these people that could potentially be in super busy, hidden away, you know, threads within a discord are just bad actors. Little things like yeah. that. It's a good point. And be be wary because people can have server specific names. People's name can look different when they DM you than it looks in the server. Um, people can, there are a lot of things that people can do. Like Tom said, I've seen that before too. People taking mods, profile pictures and names or derivatives of their names or changing it slightly. Um, yeah, you, you got to watch for those details. And again, if you didn't, you know, you didn't enter to win something, if you didn't, you know, if you're just getting something, somebody reaching out to you, trying to hand you something that sounds valuable and important, and you didn't ask for it, you didn't do anything to get it, I mean, you got to be skeptical. A hundred percent. Funny enough, uh, Walmart Gamer just coming in to uh, our Docs Live recording. Uh, we were just sharing in our own mod chat uh, friend requests that we get. And I have an ongoing list of friend requests that come into me on Discord. And whether I know you or not, I typically just don't accept because I don't want to put in the, the time to do my own research and see if you're the real person. And my DMs are always open in our Quarter Machine Discord, but I will typically never DM people first. Uh, unless I tell them or to to start the conversation with me first and foremost, or have that ongoing conversation that they know it's from a previous. So, um, yeah, those little things to kind of keep a uh, keep in the back of your head as you're as you're surfing the interwebs and um, navigating this this Web three wilderness. Very cool. Um, this was a this was a great recording, Tim. I'm glad we're able to revisit. NFT safety, Web3 safety, crypto safety, all that jazz. Um, if for anything, it's a good reminder that we should all be a little bit more on point in this uh, in this space. I myself am. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call myself out on this. I've had a Ledger Nano X sitting on my desk for the better part of two months, uh, and I haven't opened it. So. Me saying this out loud is more just me saying I'm going to be doing it because what I wanted to do for our quarter machine community is give everybody that is potentially looking at getting something like a ledger or like a treasure or, you know, a hardware wallet, um, a little bit of insight into what the setup is like, what the signing of contracts can be like. So what we're going to be doing uh, and and keep an eye on our discord and I'll probably do an upload directly to our our Twitch channel. 
um, is do an unbox of what the Ledger Nano X is like, as well as uh, what the setup and breakdown of that is. Um, Tim, I did want to kind of have one more. I had one more conversation that that went alongside uh, the the Ledger conversation, the hardware wallet conversation, because it was something to me that stood out. And I was always worried about losing a physical key to, you know, your assets or crypto or whatever else you may be storing behind the key of that Ledger. Um, more importantly to the Ledger, you can... You can replace ledgers uh, as long as you have your key phrase. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's the backup, right? You have a seed phrase that would hopefully be stored somewhere physical, not, you know, in your notes on your iPhone that says ledger seed phrase next to it. But, you know, written down somewhere on a card, somewhere safe, um, that's going to be the best way to have a backup way in in the event that that hardware gets destroyed or lost. Perfect. So uh, it's one of those fears that I've always had was, uh, oh, no, I'm kind of an irresponsible man child. I'm definitely going to lose uh, my ledger and I'm never going to be able to access the things that I have. Um, it worried me. So uh, just kind of that that uh, understanding that I can always replace or have multiple ledgers uh, that have that same C phrase that are the same key uh, put comfort into my soul. But let's do our sign offs. We'll wrap we'll wrap this all up. Um, I'll start uh, again. I am Tom DeSico, the uh, community manager for Quarter Machine. You guys can find out more about Quarter Machine um, at quartermachine.io. And uh, if you are listening to this on Spotify or Amazon or Apple and you want to join our live recordings, uh, swing over to our Discord server at discord.gg slash quartermachine. Uh, Tim and I will do uh, these doxed podcast recordings uh, live. Uh, like Oberon hopped in, you can ask questions to Tim and myself, share an experience, um, and that's bi-weekly. We change our topics. We'd like to know what you guys want to talk about. Uh, we're here for you to do that. Um, so, yeah, definitely check out Quarter Machine as I pass it over to Tim. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, signing off here. Uh, yep. As Tom said, I'm Tim. Thrilled to be doing this live in the Quarter Machine Discord. Um, you can check us out on Twitter. Um, I'm at T-E-N underscore J-D. You can also find me at our website, unnamed.gg. And again, yeah, I, I'm in Discord. I'm not legal advice. This is not legal advice, and I'll catch you guys next time. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Docs. We'll see you in chat. Peace. If you enjoy Docs, and we hope you do, go over to your favorite podcast platform at Google, Apple, Amazon, or Spotify, and leave us a review. We'll see you in chat.